Hi everyone, welcome to Equals. This is Nadia. Hi, welcome everyone. This is Nabil. It's uh, it's that best time of the week, isn't it, Nadia, for us when we get to sit down and record the podcast? Yeah, I really love our conversation. Sadly, it is the last interview of the season, but we've had a great run so far, right? And what a way to close out. Yeah, I'm really excited about our guest today. So, so Winnie Pianima, the head of Oxfam, will be interviewing the one and only Devaki Jane. What an honor it is for us to have her on equals and and before I get into a formal introduction let me let me say Nadia that you know in preparation for the podcast I got reading Devaki Jane's work learning about her just trying to dive into the ocean of her writing there's so much there I I got lost in it I got to tell you I've lost many nights of Netflix viewing to this Yeah man you have to catch up on Handmaid's Tale specifically so we can discuss I I will I'll I'll, I'll get there but but listen, you know, just as an aside, maybe we can do a future podcast about Handmaid's Tale. I mean, there's a story to be told, isn't there? That actually sounds like a great idea. Right. So, so, so on to Devaki Jane. I mean, you know, we can do the formal bits that the books that she's written, the transformational institutions like Dawn that she, that she founded, the struggles she's fought. But really, this is someone who, and, and I'm borrowing from what others have said here, Devaki Jane's been a world-renowned, pioneering thinker for decades, an activist, a feminist, a visionary who's really shaped the way the world thinks about women's rights and about the economy. And and one particular thing I've, I've got to mention is that she was a member of the South Commission, the infamous South Commission that was chaired by the then president of Tanzania, the Pan-Africanist leader, Julius Nyerere. And I just have to say, Nabil, I've been hearing Nyerere's name since I was a kid. My dad, who you know was born and raised in Tanzania, is always telling me how he remembers being 13 and watching for the first time ever independent Tanzania's flag being raised. And that was in 1961. Um, and for him, Walimo Nyerere was a real hero. And can you imagine being part of that crew working on the South Commission with Nyerere and Devaki Jane? Yeah, can can you just imagine just even being a fly on the wall there? Seriously, right? I mean, they were trying to reshape the South's future post-independence and even perceptions of the South. And Devaki's work and her delivery specifically really demand that we connect struggles. Struggles in India with those across the South and really the whole world. Um, and connecting women's rights with broader economic inequality. And it's really with that kind of thinking that she's considered such a pioneer and such a mother, actually, to this whole field of feminist economics, something we'll hear about in the interview. Yeah, let's take a listen. Hello, Devaki, welcome. Thank you for doing this podcast. Devaki, I know you as a giant of the women's movement. I know you as an activist. I first met you in 1985 at the Third World Conference on Women here in Nairobi. And that was the time you had started Dawn, the Southern Women's Organization, giving us voice to challenge patriarchy using our own life experience as Southern women. Let's start there. Give us a little background about your trajectory how did you get there? How did you become a feminist global leader? Winnie, thank you so much for uh, including me in this project that you have. I congratulate you and your colleagues for trying to sustain the interest in inequality, which is, in my view, as is your view, one of the biggest curses we have now, and it's increasing. Many of us, uh, my generation, were inspired by the freedom struggles in our countries. We grew up as students just after India's freedom struggle. And India at that time was a model. I mean, Gandhi had led us 
and everybody was inspired to rebuild India. But that gave us, shaped our life, gave us our politics, our justice, equality. And remember that we in the South, that is the ex-colonies, including Uganda, mm. had women freedom fighters. It was not like in the European countries where men were the leaders. So many women in India had actually led India's freedom struggle. That's so nice. the women's movement was a very strong presence. Post-independence, about eight women were heads of various institutions. So our legacy was a bit different from the European countries. And I want you to underline that because you are also from a former colony. And mm -hmm. I want you to know that that made a difference to our politics. Absolutely. In my country, women organized and protested before the colonial governor when the king of Buganda was exiled in the Seychelles for rejecting colonial rule. Ugandan women went up to the governor to demand for the return of their king. So we're always part of that journey to end colonialism. But let's talk about feminist economics, Devaki, because you're one of the mothers of feminist economics, an alternative way to look at the economy. You've written, you've spoken about it. I think your friend Diane Nelson, who's herself a guru in this area, gives you credit for being one of the first thinkers on women's unpaid work decades before even the term unpaid care work was coined. So tell me how you came to this. You're, you're right that we had, we have brought this up. The first uh, exposure for me was statistics. You know, I did statistics in Oxford. And when I came back and found that the women's participation rate in the national statistical system was half that of men, and yet in, with my eyes, you could I could see women weeding, digging, working on roads, breaking metal. So I raised the question with our government that I want to redo the statistical system. And I raised money in my study called the one of the first time-use studies done in the developing world, mm -hmm. proving that if you looked at what women do and record it and use the same definition, twice as many women were actually working. Mm -hmm. So when you say what is wrong with the economy in relation to women, firstly, measuring their contribution to the economy. Absolutely. That has now become a worldwide movement. Now everybody is showing that women are actually engage in doing what is called economic product, not only what is called reproduction and all that, okay. but contributing to that. But not recognizing them means they don't get the right way, they don't get necessary support. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue on which uh, feminists are now fighting. When I was young, I would see my mom getting up at about five o'clock in the morning. She'd go to tend our banana plantation and make sure that the food would be there growing and would be harvested. She'd work in the garden up to about eight o'clock in the morning, then come back, get us all dressed up, give us a breakfast and send us off to school. Then she'd go to her shop in the town to earn an income. And she'd come back in the evening and still go to check on her garden and to check on the dinner as well. So I always wondered, why is mom the one who gets up first and goes to sleep last? It was so clear to me as a child that something wasn't right here. 
that she was working so, so hard, cleaning, taking care of us, looking after my dad, and then also going out and earning an income. Yeah, and then you see this measuring has now become a, a theme, even in you were asking about what the Indian young feminists are doing. They've taken up this whole idea of housework has to be counted as economic contribution. You know what was happening in England when you were not born and I was young, there was a <laughs> movement in London called Wages for Housework. I remember that. And we didn't take it seriously. Yeah, mm-hmm. it didn't look very serious to us because we were in school. But now what we are, they are asking is for monetizing this housework. Mm. But Winnie, there's a catch there. Our countries are so poor mm. and unequal. Mm. We are hardly paying wages to those who are doing what is recognized as formal economic work. So where do we get the chance to pay those who are doing housework. That's so right. what we have to ask for, you and me, is that social infrastructure, mm-hmm. that is the government takes responsibility for providing free, mm-hmm. excellent services for women to put their children, for women to get food for their children without having to do that. It That can be the government way of Absolutely. getting these women to, to get that. But Devaki, I wanted you as a pioneer in this area of feminist economics to tell us a little bit about your work and that movement that you built with your organization, Dawn, that shifted the thinking that was there at that time on women in development towards a new approach shaped by the experience of Southern women in a global economy that didn't work for them. I mean, even women like you in Uganda had this problem that the economic description of our economies and the response to that done by women in the West, in the North, uh, didn't suit our, uh, our, what was the characterization of our countries. So what we did in Dawn was to actually describe the enormous difference between the way they perceived us and we perceived ourselves. And I think that gave us a political flag. And then we decided that we would speak only for the South and the characterization of the South in all these international meetings. And I think it worked. It did. It worked that you had it, you had an organization which only spoke on that. You know, we didn't speak about everything. It just spoke about a South mm. women's view. It was a very important moment of constructing our own narrative around the challenges we faced. At that time, we faced austerity, structure adjustment, militarism, lack of civic space to challenge. But we were able, through the voice of Dawn, to have there presented for us an alternative development model. Can you talk us through that journey and your work with leaders such as President Mualimu Julius Nyerere. I know, many, uh, and that was a great inspiration. But I just want to add one sentence to the previous part of the discussion and then come to the South Commission. I think the big problem which you have raised, actually, your other question is that we do not have, we have not taken inequality as the core of what we should rebuild an economic theory. You asked if feminists have done Feminists are trying to build another economic theory, another way of measuring GDP, another way of, unless the whole thing is upturned, we can't. And what has happened is we are all trapped in neoliberal economics now. India is going more into capital-led economic 
capital led and not labor led in a country which has got a surplus of unemployed labor mm-hmm. it's actually a crime but that crime is not made into a political argument by the opposition exactly it's only it's only we women who have to now show that it's a crime that in a country with so much poverty you take on a capital led unemployment neglected mm-hmm. mode of development and production it's a very dangerous thing now let me come to south commission here they put together only people from the south that was another thing they did which is very yes i remember I that your we told him you're copying from don because yeah. we said no and we also added that no woman who is from the south but living in london or new york should belong to us that really irritated many people but we yeah. thought you have to feel the flavor of your country only if you're touching the soil every day we did make headway we had lot of consultations with the head of mozambique we went to uh, fidel was excited and nerere thought that the fidel model of cuba's development should become the south's model there was a vision that Julius Nyerere had and I would agree that he was the first person to articulate anything near a human development concept I mean you remember when I met uh, Gertrude Mongela she told me that she could do what she had become secretary general of mm. the conference because of Nyerere's program of giving free education yeah. up to college yes can you imagine how many people came out of that yeah. and then what does imf and world bank say to him no no this is not economically viable and they, they threw that out of the window so what we we are still doing that uh, we are still against uh, all our countries including yours mm-hmm. are still against the dominant paradigm and the dominant uh, economic program from the powerful agencies including the northern agency i'll give you one more example which is, and then you can talk to me take india we had our own way of developing from the nehru time till about 1995 we took employment as our main engine of growth now exactly as it happened in tanzania the model has changed the model now is capital led economic growth so capital led economic growth simply cannot be spread into what is really a crisis which is poverty and unemployment so you are asking me to speak about women but my mind is only talking about both men and women who are now subject to a new paradigm which has come from the old capitalist model i too find great difficulty in articulating issues of gender equality outside a discussion of an economic model and i think that this has distinguished us women in the south from feminists in the north that for us we situate our right and our rights within the context of global economic injustice we cannot make headway to achieve gender equality within a frame of economic injustice i wanted you to say something more about the challenge we have today of getting out of neoliberalism what do we need to do devaki um we need that's a very challenging question you asked and i had been interested in hearing your podcast interview with stiglitz uh, which might have some germ of mm. similarity to my concern because he is also taught of rethinking economics but, but i think um, 
every all the measures i mean i know i go back to my original uh, passion which was measures which is data mm-hmm. but i'm not not talking about data how we measure success you take all these countries they are all measured on gdp growth rate oh china has got that gdp growth rate that's actually a false measure mm-hmm. of everything mm-hmm. it doesn't show employment it mm-hmm. doesn't show income it doesn't show distribution it's broadly capital and what kind of interest it earns mm-hmm. and you know that piketty has shown us all that much of it is interest earned on capital mm-hmm. hardly anything on uh, productive work coming out of the capital so there is a we've got into a trap here and i think the oh, women's oh. movement and feminist economics are trying to rebuild theory and i'm glad that you are taking up inequality because i think if we start with inequality as the germ or the genome and from inequality try to build up a system which doesn't create so much inequality then we'll be dealing with all our issues are you hopeful devaki that this is happening because you've been working on this through dawn through various indian institutions you have worked in and through the global feminist movement do you have hope that we are going to win the argument and push for a new human economy well you know i i feel so sorry to have to give you the kind of answer that is building up in my mind i really don't like it mm-hmm. but i don't see much hope i don't like what i'm going to say Mm. I see that many of these countries like take India neighboring countries they are moving from democracies to dictatorships so unless the political element mm. is towards justice mm. you cannot get economic justice there mm. has to be some kind of like it used to be during Nehru's time or Gandhi's time or even afterwards for India and definitely when Nehru was the president of uh, Tanzania you try to link your progress with building justice economic and social in the sense of feminist men and women but now we just have a a kind of run towards a capital led profit seeking world i first met president nyerere in 1985 the cold war hadn't ended the soviet union was disintegrating and we were moving to a unipolar world and in a discussion with him a few of us He said something that at that time sounded shocking. He said, "I made some mistakes in my economic packaging. Remember he was retiring, he was about to retire. But I'm very sad. I'm very worried for my successor and the leaders of Africa because while I had the space and could take advantage of the quarrel between the East and the West and assert my own way for development of my people my country i see now we are moving towards a unipolar world where the capitalist model the western model is going to hold sway and there will be no room for challenging and building something different he said that and in many ways it seems that that has happened that we got trapped into a neoliberal frame that can't be challenged and feminists are on the margins fighting fighting but there doesn't seem to be the political cover for those who think differently to assert themselves so you're right we need to fight political capture to have a say to build a new economy 
But, well, let's not be discouraged. I'm seeing this through young people. I see these schoolgirls, these schoolboys who are fighting for climate action. Maybe that's where we should draw hope, that kids are saying no to a rigged global economy that's wrecking the planet and destroying people's lives. They have an urgent message for the world. I think I would like to end by speaking about the young. I think I like the fact that you are seeing hope there. I think they are the ones who are going to fight injustice and they would need some amount of support. You know, unfortunately, unless you build up economic theories or political theories, some kind of idea, mm. you can't change the world. So we, we can get a leader out of those people if we keep encouraging them. I must say that the feminists are... Uh, not yet as gripped by the issue of economic and decay as they are with what I call body-driven problems. The larger community is not yet interested in handling the larger political and economic problems of the world. It is still, in, in some sense, body-driven and in some sense, localized. And they pride themselves by saying, we are doing local change. Now, that's very sweet. But in a person like me who comes from 50 years of struggle, I think that we have to now hit the stone at the top. Devaki, I couldn't agree with you more that the forces against us are global. They are structural. And that unless we take them on and fight them from a global perspective, we're not going to find solutions that are local. We do need to take on global forces and take them on through global movements. I'm frustrated sometimes by feminists who don't want to address the economic frame and which is supporting, legitimizing, and using patriarchy to advantage a few at the top. We need to make those connections between extreme capitalism and patriarchy. But look, young people are doing better than us. And I want to honor you, Devaki, as we conclude and really say how much you shaped the women's movements in the South, helping us to think through and to have a voice about our economic exploitation, about our right to control our bodies and to speak with force and with a different voice in the global feminist movement. Made a mark, let the young people add to that. Thank you so much, Vinny. So have you. We'll hold our hands and we'll change the world. Thank you so much, Devaki. Power to you. Nadia, let, let me ask you first, what are you thinking? What am I thinking? Well, I'm still digesting and I'm trying to come up with a metaphor that appropriately describes how I'm feeling right now. But so far, and I'm sure there are lots of problems with, with this metaphor, but she's an Indian feminist Picasso painting a portrait with a few brush strokes. Um, okay, just to explain that. Basically, I'm in awe at how she just deconstructed feminism and the economic model holding women down and colonial history and neoliberal economics in just a few short minutes. Kind of crazy, no? Crazy, crazy and inspiring, right? I mean, can you imagine a world in which economic policies were shaped by people like Devaki Jane? I mean, I was really taken by so much she said, especially how she saw her role and, and people like her really rooted in the anti-colonial, the freedom, the liberation struggles of their countries in the South. 
There was that. There was also something I really loved, which was her clarity and maybe I should say her bluntness, actually, about the need to take on global forces. You know what she said about the need to, quote, hit the stone at the top? I'm going to have to get that phrase put on my wall. Ah, uh, yeah, that was a good one. You know, listening to her actually brought me back to a place that I personally feel much more comfortable in. And I'm actually feeling a bit nostalgic right now and just wish these kinds of conversations and discussions were happening in places like London and in D.C., places that really don't like to talk about colonialism and the history of colonialism that, you know, contributed so much to the economic structures that we have today and to, frankly, the levels of inequality that we see in the world today. Um, and even the neocolonialism that maintains this extractive model. I mean, it's really true, isn't it? It really strikes me that establishment economics, mainstream economics, really fails too often, actually, to understand or maybe I should say conveniently ignores the role of colonialism in the economic model that, that exploited the South and in fact developed the North on the back of that. And still, in, in many ways, it still does, you know. I mean, these are places our, our great-grandfathers and mothers are from, right, our ancestors, so maybe we feel a little bit different about it. But in India alone, where Devaki's from, where, 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 where I'm originally from, there's some really fascinating research out recently that talks about how Britain stole $45 trillion from India over about 170 years. Yep, and most of that is still sitting in London. I mean, it's easy to understand, isn't it, why anti-colonial struggles are so important to thinkers like Devaki Jain, and I guess why it has to be important for all of us. True, and then I think there are lots of people working on, let's say, even international development who might hear this interview and think, Hmm, perhaps Devaki is fighting an old battle. But then you consider, you know, step back and consider really who's disconnected. And I don't think it's her. And she doesn't hold back, does she? I mean, what I'm so starkly reminded of is that we, this economic model that we have is, is rigged against people in poverty, is rigged against women at the same time. And Devaki I found very powerful on that, but also actually really for showing a very clear alternative way, a radical, evidence-based way of a feminist economist. You know, when she spoke about building an economy from poor women up, I mean, Devaki's spoken about this, about what she calls the bubbling up theory of growth, something that she really kind of builds on from what Mahatma Gandhi himself pushed for. It's really fascinating, especially as a contrast to trickle-down economics. That's right, as an alternative to neoliberal economics. You know, for me and Abiel coming out of this interview... The key message is really sharp, really clear. You cannot talk about women's economic empowerment or gender justice or even sexual rights without talking about economic structures. And to make serious gains for women, we need to challenge the economic models that keep the poor and women down. Just get out of the silos, recognize the connections. Right? It's a package deal for Devaki and a strong message for all of us. I mean, it really is. I mean, what a great way for us to finish the season. That's the final interview of this season done. But we hope to give you in the next episode a bit, a bit of a wrap up with Winnie looking back at the highlights of this season. But can I take this opportunity, really, everyone, to say a huge thank you again for joining us. Please do subscribe please do stay with us and, and look forward to season two with us. Yes, please do send us your feedback, your suggestions on equals at oxfam.org. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.